Tēnā koutou no mai, hi to mai. Welcome to q and I'm Jack Tame. This morning, it is the darling of our tech industry. But in Mahia, many of the locals want Rocket Lab to take off for good. And um, it's about time they just leave. They need to leave. Then, should all primary school teachers have to pass tougher math standards before they're allowed in the classroom? And a word of caution from the Finance Minister. Kiwis need to think about their own budgets, as well as critiquing his. Clearly, New Zealanders who've taken on a lot of debt privately need to know that the possibility exists that those rates will rise. We will have that shortly. But first, the government is courting high-tech players in the space industry with a view to setting up here. But a group on the East Coast is warning other communities to be wary of promises made to them from foreign corporates. For our second feature on the new space race and New Zealand's part in it, Q&A went to Mahia for a rocket lab launch. For many locals, and particularly Māori, whose tūpuna, whose ancestors have called Mahia home for generations, there is a growing sense of discontent about rocket lab's operations. Here's Fena Owen. The story of Rocket Lab has not been a dream realised for all its stakeholders. I just feel like betrayed, completely betrayed. It's about time they just leave. They need to leave. You can see the signage around Ma here, you see cars that have been tagged. Former Iwi Trust Chair Moana Rongo. It's not going to go away, people are not happy and what it's not just Māori. What do you mean cars that have been tagged? Tagged for Rocket Lab to go home. It's eight hours away from the opening of a 14-day launch window. <laughs> On the outskirts of Mahia, a group of locals opposed to Rocket Lab's operations have set up a small protest. It was a recent payload for the US military that galvanised a simmering discontent among some in the community. So there's a lot of support I've noticed. So there's heaps of support and there's lots of people who support us from behind the scenes who are not so willing to show their faces. While we were there, Q&A witnessed a man filming the protest from a passing car. Yes, he went past and then he turned back around and came back and videoed us. Six years ago, representatives of the thousands of shareholders of this Māori land agreed to lease it to Rocket Lab for their launches. Some now regret that move. Originally, I thought it was going to be a wonderful idea. I thought that mm. our babies can aspire to be rocket scientists and they can be the leaders of that and eventually they will run that place. That was my goal. But I see now that this is a big company that is never going to put our needs first. Rocket Lab is now working on a third launch pad. It's licensed to launch every 72 hours. So we work incredibly hard to minimise any of the impact of those uh, launch safety zones and as I say they've only been active on a launch day for usually no more than four hours and as we launch more frequently we're able to bring those times down as we get more certainty for our operations. They're at the cutting edge of rocket technology and, I'm, and you know as a country we should be incredibly proud of what they've achieved. But at what cost, Minister? Yeah, no, and, and like I say, I mean, I and I, I also know that Peter works incredibly hard and his team work hard to maintain the social licence. Around Mahia, businesses were set up in anticipation of a big influx of Rocket Lab staff and tourists. Some Airbnb batch owners are renting to Rocket Lab staff. There are very few visitors in town this weekend. 
Rocket Lab estimates it's put $18 million into the local economy, scholarships, sponsorships and jobs. There are some jobs created for locals. It looks like quite a high turnover in terms of locals. They're largely the lower paid, uh, lower skilled jobs. As shareholders of the land Rocket Lab leases, these Rungumai Wahine women took Q&A onto Ununui Station. Bapaita Ho's mother, grandfather and centuries of ancestors are buried on this land. She can only access the land with permission and outside of launch times. They promised us that access was never going to be a problem to our whenua and that very first year it was a problem. And then when they start talking about launching twice a week, when are we ever going to access our whenua? This is Kaumatua Kenros Campbell. They put restriction, oh, it's, we're locked off. They've got timetables for us on our own venue. Rocket Lab's PR staff provided Q&A with a statement from the Māori Landowners Management Committee. It says, We are committed to working with our whānau to ensure that we are reflecting their cultural and environmental concerns, and we have a new board committed to achieving that outcome. Our partnership with Rocket Lab has always been seen as a long-term arrangement. We continue to work with them to ensure we have transparency, openness and mutual outcomes. And the company says it is listening to community concerns. One of the things that's incredibly important to remember is that this is an area that people feel deeply passionate about and are deeply tied to, and we absolutely have respect for that and want to hear those concerns. One of their meetings, they told the people, was that it was the rocket launch was, the purpose was for the environment, and actually people believed it. And many of the satellites launched are used for the good of the environment. The government has just partnered with Rocket Lab to monitor methane. The satellites destined for orbit a week ago could also have environmental applications, but among the customers buying the real-time images taken by the satellites down to one metre from the Earth's surface are the US military and other governments. Q&A spoke to Stuart Nash, Mahia's MP, and the minister responsible for signing off the payloads. I would never sign off anything that I thought compromised us as a country, compromised Rocket Lab as a company, but also compromised our communities. A lot of people in New Zealand are really excited, including the government, it seems, about um, about the space industry in New Zealand. Are you ruining it for everyone? Well, I guess all those people that are really excited, it's not in their backyard, it's not affecting their taiwo, and I'm sure the tangata whenua in those areas would have the same concerns that we have. The RMA, you know, and, 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 and the... Um, and the treaty are quite clear around, you know, uh, there's a duty and care there. If we're not involved, you know, then, then what, what are the other options left open to Māori? The Ormond whānau earns their living commercial crayfishing. As part of the original agreement between the trust representatives and Rocket Lab, fisher crew have to vacate exclusion zones around launch times. Oh, it's a big nuisance to us. And we go out there, we catch tides and try and do things to certain sort of time limits and then they come along and now we've got to start listening to them. An early evening flurry of helicopters indicated that Rocket Lab was going for a launch. So although Rocket Lab's launch pad is just around the peninsula here, we have to rely on social media to find out whether it's going to go tonight. Um, Rocket Lab has just tweeted that it looks like it's all go. They're a bit concerned about some upper-level winds. Stage one and stage two tanks are pressed. 
Listening to Rocket Lab's live feed, launch tourists along the coast have claimed their viewing spots. I've noticed online there are like thousands of you guys who are just mad for rockets. Yep. He's got every T-shirt they've made on the launches so far, <laughs> so he's hoping oh, for another oh, one tonight. The, the Rocket Lab T-shirts? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Oh, you've got all of that? <laughs> all of them, yeah. Oh, so you are a Rocket Lab boffin. He's oh, a fan. No, I'm a fan. You're a fan. <laughs> I'm a very big fan. <laughs> Four, three, two... Rocket Lab says it's working hard to figure out what went wrong on its latest mission in what the company says was one of its toughest days. On the peninsula, life goes on with most people unaware the second stage of the rocket failed to ignite and the mission failed. Yeah, I've got to go and get a kite, otherwise we, we, we don't have supermarkets here. I'd like to offer a solution. That solution's going to have to be involving Māori and at the highest level. How will we involve with the space legislation? We've got good people in, 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 in government, and you know, but this needs to be addressed and needs to be addressed now. Fena Owen with that report, of course. Rocket Lab is set to list on the NASDAQ next month. We're keen to get your feedback on the story. Email us, Q&A at tvnz.co.nz or message our Facebook page and we will share some of your cordial later on. Up next, in a week where Grant Robertson has done dozens of interviews, a question he hasn't yet been asked. Do you personally own any crypto? <laughs> Hoki mai iti, we welcome back to Q&A. You might have heard, this week was budget week. <laughs> There's barely been a minute Grant Robertson hasn't had a microphone clipped to his lapel. But we wanted to ask the Finance Minister about a few specific elements in the 2021 budget. I began by getting his thoughts on Treasury's inflation forecasts and the likelihood we could see interest rates rise. Yeah, well, the forecasts in the budget show that it will spike up a little bit, around about 2.4% before coming back down again. And so, you know, I rely on those Treasury forecasts. That's still within the Reserve Bank's 1% to 3% band. Uh, so that's manageable in the New Zealand economy. But it's one of the examples of the uncertainty that emerges from COVID. No one can be completely sure. We've seen in the US a bit of a spike, which looks a bit like pent-up demand. The question is, will that last any longer? So... At the levels forecast, that's manageable for us, but clearly it's an issue which we have to keep an eye on. So if the Reserve Bank lifts the OCR, interest rates go up, are you concerned that some Kiwis are over-leveraged? Well, we always want to make clear to New Zealanders that when they borrow money at very low interest rates, there is the possibility, depending on the kind of mortgage they've got, that those rates will increase. We are talking historically very, very low rates. So even the increases we're talking about still put ourselves in, in a band that is low relative to our history. But clearly, New Zealanders who've taken on a lot of debt privately need to know that the possibility exists that those rates will rise. This is the third budget since the Welfare Expert Advisory Group delivered your government its report. The cost of borrowing has been historically cheap. You, as Finance Minister, have waited until even the National Party agrees that benefits need to go up. Why have you waited this long to increase benefits? 
Well, I've only noticed the National Party's agreement with that after we announced it, so I'm not sure that that really does reflect their position. Look, we've made good progress on lifting the incomes of the lowest income New Zealanders across the last three years through the families package, through the $25 a week increase that we saw last year. But we've always seen the WEAG report as a blueprint and one that we would work towards. And I'm very proud of the fact that we've made these very large increases in line with the recommendations of WEAG for those main benefits benefit rates. Um, I think the position we're in now, it's fiscally sustainable. Um, you have to bear in mind that when you make a decision like this, it's not one-off, it stays forever. Um, and I think we've got the balance in this budget about right, and I'm especially proud that that includes increasing benefits. It doesn't, that doesn't respectfully, that doesn't answer the question, though. I mean, it is, what, 26 months, 116 weeks since we ag said we needed to raise core benefits in New Zealand. We know that hundreds of thousands of New Zealanders have been living in poverty. Why not take your own working group's advice and act sooner? As I say, we did act. We did increase uh, the rates. We didn't get to the, the full level that we had wanted until this budget. There are always a range of competing things in a budget that you need to fund, be it in health or education or housing or anywhere else. And so I'm pleased with the progress we made last term, but we have now had the opportunity in this budget to meet those recommendations, and that is a really good and important outcome. Equally, we also know that the journey's not over for lifting incomes, for making sure that we provide more in terms of reducing child poverty. And Minister Cipollone, the Prime Minister and myself have all said that in the last few days, and the work will go on, but this is an historic increase, and it does respond to those recommendations. New Zealand's COVID-19 success has underscored the value of scientific expertise, but the budget cuts funding for the Endeavour Fund, cuts the Health Research Fund, and cuts the Marsden Fund if you adjust for inflation. Why? Well, no, there, is still, I mean, there are still increases in terms of, of those research funds. But the Minister of Research, Science and Innovation, Megan Woods, has already been talking to the science sector about the fact that we need a relook across the board. There are three contestable funds. There is, all, there is baked in funding within our Crown Research Institutes, the researches that goes on inside universities and the private sector. We need to leverage the best possible outcome from those. So we will continue to invest in those areas. They got big bumps up in funding in recent budgets. Budget 2021 has had a, a different focus in terms of where some of the increases, um, big increases in spending go, but research and development continues to be an important part of what we do. Tax evasion costs New Zealand as much as a billion dollars a year. Obviously you've introduced several tax changes uh, in the last few months, but you've cut the IRD's investigation, audit and litigation funding by $10 million. Why? No, again, that's a result of the fact that we've had substantial increases in that to build up their capacity, and that capacity has now been built up and that funding levels off. Um, IRD is doing far more work in that area than it did uh, before we came into office, and it continues to be important. But we had to give it an initial boost and a bump to get that capacity up, and I believe now the kind of work it's doing is going to pay off for New Zealanders. Nobody should be avoiding or evading their taxes in a way that's outside the law, and we're going to make sure we chase people down. But, but wouldn't it make sense to maintain that higher level of funding if, I mean, the discrepancy between the 
the tax dodge and the amount that we're spending on those auditing services is $900 million. As I say, we've built that capacity up inside IRD. The business transformation program means that the, the IRD computer system is now operating at a much higher level. We can be a much more efficient and effective organisation at actually making sure New Zealanders are not only paying the tax they're required to, but actually also getting the returns and the refunds that they're entitled to as well. So we've built that capacity up over time. Mm. They're now working at a higher level than they ever have been. Let's talk climate change. More than a thousand New Zealand schools still burn fossil fuels. How many schools will be able to transition away from coal burners with the funding you've announced? So by 2025 we want them all to have transitioned away from that and this will significantly increase the number of schools who we had planned already to have that done. How many? And this is exact kind of area where we... Oh look, I don't have that exact number with me today, Jack, but by 2025 we don't want any of them using coal boilers and the progress we're making has been good. We've put more money in. But as I said in the budget uh, speech that I gave, we are going to be investing significantly through budget 22 and 23. Mm. There is good resources in here to reduce emissions but of course we know we've got to do more and the carbon neutral government program will just keep building over time so that we do meet our goals and show some leadership uh, when we get to that 2025 goal. I see estimates from climate campaigners saying that with the money you have allocated in this budget just 35 schools will be able to transition from coal burners into clean and green alternatives. 35 out of the thousand schools in New Zealand that use fossil fuels for energy. Does that sound right to you? Look, I'd have to look at those numbers. I mean, into both of them, actually, in terms mm. of whether or not there are a 1,000 schools still burning fossil fuels and also whether that number is right. What I do know is we've put hundreds of millions of dollars into this already and that the money in the budget adds to that. And as I say, we've got that 2025 goal and we have to meet it. Tony Gibson announced he's stepping down as the Port of Auckland's CEO after months of criticism. Borrowing is super cheap. We know that debt is super low for New Zealand, sovereign debt compared to comparable countries. You've said we need to find an alternative to the Auckland port in the future. You've had all manner of reports recommending alternatives. Why aren't you moving more assertively to move Auckland's port? Well, a couple of reasons there. The first is that it is not an easy decision. It's a very, very significant one. And yes, you're right, there have been a number of reports over the years. Transport Minister Michael Wood is in possession of all of those, and he's made a commitment to be getting on to, to decisions about this this year. Uh, we also have other major infrastructure needs and projects, for example, um, the City Rail Link in Auckland and, and, the, and the, uh, the City Centre to Mangere Link as well. So we've been working on those and getting those sorted, but Minister Wood is focused on that. Um, it is not a decision that I want to take lightly here. Uh, Auckland's ports uh, owners have already said themselves that they think from the mid-2030s onwards it won't be the same kind of port it is now. So we need to then look at the whole of the Upper North Island, how, yes, Whangarei, which is one of the suggestions, works, but also what's happening in Tauranga as well. And so we're putting all of those things together and we will be making progress on that this term. Minister, the US Fed has said this week it is reviewing its role in and relationship to cryptocurrency exchanges. Is there a role here for government or the Reserve Bank in regulating and managing crypto markets? 
Well, it's quite clear that crypto markets are now a, a much bigger part of the global economy. And so I'm not surprised that the Fed has done that. I know the Reserve Bank keeps a close eye on that here uh, in New Zealand. And the more people around the world who have money invested in cryptocurrencies, the more likely it is that regulators will want to get, be involved. So I'm not surprised by that. And I'm quite sure the New Zealand Reserve Bank will be following developments in the US very closely. Do you personally own any crypto? <laughs> no, I don't. Do you, Jack? <laughs> hey, I, I, I wish. <laughs> Although I see Dogecoin's had a really bad week. <laughs> hey, um, f yeah. finally, Minister, um, what, what is your beef with Ruth Richardson? Oh, it's not a personal thing particularly. I just, you know, I'm a person who who grew up during the period of time, the late 1980s and the early 1990s, when, you know, I saw enormous damage done to the communities that I was living in from, from decisions that were made. And the mother of all budgets had a couple of those that I remember really well. One of them was that it set in motion the Employment Contracts Act that undermined the wages of working people. We've got fair pay agreements coming through that are really targeted at those low-income sectors. And it was the budget that confirmed those benefit cuts. And so, you know, that was a moment in our history that I do believe did damage to our economy and our society. And I, I marked that yesterday, but it's not a personal thing. Finance Minister Grant Robertson. Let's bring in our panel. Former MP Tohinari Anjan Raman, a chartered accountant and founding member of Inclusive Aotearoa Collective. And Russell Norman, the former Green Party co-leader and now executive director of Greenpeace Aotearoa. Kia ora koutou. I'm going to ask you each the same question. What did you think of the budget, Tau? Oh, for, for Māori, um, A1, A+, AAA rating. Um, hail the conquering hero, Willie Jackson, Nanaya, um, the whole team. What did you think, Anjum? Uh, I think there were a lot of positives. Love the money going into um, the poverty and the benefits. Uh, I love the money that's going into um, supporting communities, but I think there needs to be a bit more focus on gender balance and particularly the fact that women got hit hardest in terms of unemployment with COVID and underemployment, and I think that equity lens hasn't been applied to this budget. So how might, the, what, that might what might that have looked like? So we see the funding that's gone into infrastructure, 57.3 billion. Um, that tends to be a lot of male-dominated industries, and I think also the social services sector, the community sector, which also provides a lot of jobs that improves the well-being of our people, needs to have an equal focus. And that is where a lot of women are employed and they're underpaid, working way too long, um, and funding business as usual as well as new initiatives in that sector is as important as infrastructure. Russell, what did you think? Uh, look, I really like the um, benefit increases. I thought well overdue, obviously. Um, uh, but in terms of uh, climate change, uh, this the existential crisis that we face, um, there wasn't much in it for climate change. Uh, fiscal policy is not everything, right? The, 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 you know, budgets. The, you know, the, the government delivers money in a budget, and that's important. But it's not the only thing they do. There's regulations, there's price signals, there's other tools. But yeah, I mean, we still really don't have a, a coherent, um, trans transformational kind of um, government set of policies in terms of driving climate change. Yeah, I mean, we, we are probably likely to see some more movement in the space in the coming weeks and months, aren't we? The Climate Commission is set to. Uh, deliver its final recommendations, I think, in seven or eight days' time uh, to the government. But in terms of the budget, what might more decisive action on climate change have looked like? 
So, um, you know, the, the big um, the, the cow in the room uh, is, of course, agribusiness, half of all of our emissions. Um, we have this very intensive model, uh, and so we need to drive the, this sector for, to a much more low intensive model. That's going to take some cash as well as some regulations and some price signals. Uh, we don't have much in the regulatory space yet. We've got a cap on synthetic nitrogen fertiliser, which is a good first step, but it needs to come down. We don't have a price signal yet on agricultural emissions. We're nearly four years into the government, and we still don't. Um, and then it also requires some cash on the table to support the transition as we move to a more regenerative organic model which has much lower emissions. So in terms of a budget, yeah, to, to some kind of fiscal support behind that mm. transition. So we, we just don't have those things in place yet. But I think also that a lot of the changes that will happen are at a local and community level and a lot of burden that is on local government to make those changes in lifestyle, the way that we travel and get to places, the way that we work and there isn't funding that has devolved to local government that will support them to do, um, to do the mahi that's required in that area. What about that, that uh, ring fencing of ETS gains for the government to, to go straight back into, into climate change mitigation policies? I, I mean, it's an, a, a niggly little detail in the eyes of some, perhaps, but that's significant, no? Uh, look, I, I think um, uh, the, the hypothecation of the, you know, the, the fancy word, I love that word, um, the, you know, of the, of the income from the ETS um, may well provide, sure, uh, the climate minister with some money going forward, particularly mm. if the climate minister gets some control over it. Um, but the other big picture I think is so true is the transport issue, right? 20% of our emissions um, and so we're still to see the kind of big investment in transport change yet, which gets delivered locally in particular. Um, the last big in announcement was the New Zealand upgrade at the beginning of 2020, just before COVID hit. That was mostly motorways. They were just National Party's motorways. Yeah. They, they re reheated them. Um, so yeah, we, need a, we need, do need a big investment in transport as well. Absolutely. And I really did like the investment in rail, um, just having been on the road in the last Last week, I, it's noticeable how many more trucks there are on the road and how much that's slowing down movement of traffic but also pollution and so on. We need to get a lot of that cargo onto rail and off our roads and you know that will impact climate change New as well. Zealand first, that's right. We've got New Zealand first to thank for the, the <laughs> in the last term they put four billion into rail um, and this uh, the last budget's put another well, big thing. Well I think I think <laughs> for nearly a billion dollars for Māori housing. Um, when 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 Maori are at the uh, at the forefront at the vanguard of of uh, not um, having housing mm. uh, and nearly a billion dollars in a budget for Maori housing, particularly Maori housing, um, like I said, AAA. Do you think that Willie Jackson, in securing that that the, those carve outs and that funding for Maori, has outflanked the Party Maori? in a political sense because we've seen quite oh, yeah. a bit of momentum over the last few months for the Māori Party. Oh yeah, I mean a billion dollars is is way better than um, an issue about wearing a tie in the house um, and I'm, I'm not belittling uh, the Māori parties for that but at the end of the day it, it this what this says is about being around the table in numbers mm. so that you can say to your mates hey, take it or leave it. We can, we can always leave but I'd rather sit with you at the table and spend some money on issues that are really, really important. And I think they've achieved that. Russell, for a long time now, you've been urging finance ministers and governments to rethink the way they <laughs> think about debt. What would you like to have seen on that front? 
So um, at the risk of revisiting, a, you know, the, the whole issue, but let's be honest, right? So where's, where has all the government debt come from? It's come from the Reserve Bank, right? So the Reserve Bank created a whole bunch of money during the COVID recovery, which it handed over to the government. So the government now owes the Reserve Bank all of this money, right? But of course, um, who owns the Reserve Bank? It's the government, right? So um, the idea that we should crucify our spending on climate change or poverty alleviation or anything yeah, because we're concerned about paying back the debt is just completely absurd. Um, either, as Jim Bolger said, we should just write the debt off because we owe it to ourselves, or secondly, even if we leave it on the books, all the interest that we pay on that debt goes to the Reserve Bank. The Reserve Bank literally pays a dividend to the government on the profits it makes, so it would just be cycled back to the government. So the idea that we should really be worried about this money we've borrowed from the Reserve Bank, I think, is patently absurd, and, and other governments all around the world obviously aren't worried about it. Um, I'd like to go back to housing actually because to me, you know, while the benefit increases are really good, um, we're not going to tackle poverty if we don't tackle houses and I think, you know, really New Zealanders need to start thinking more boldly. I think it's difficult for the government to act when we're not there but what if we said that each person can only have three houses max, your own home, your beach property, and a rental it's for a your retirement. It? it is, but when the, if we don't get those rents down mm. and those house prices down, we really are not going to impact poverty a whole lot. Um, rent caps, they didn't even look at keeping at 60% of the average wage, for example, or something like that. We might as well Europe... have a price freeze. I mean, that's 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 silly talk. I mean, I, you know, you know. The, the, the fact of the matter is, is that it's, the reason why Māori haven't been in the, in the housing market isn't because somebody else owns 10. The reason is because you haven't had the jobs, mm. you haven't had the, 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 the proper uh, financial backing. If you have a look at in, in the 1960s, Māori Affairs had their whole, had a Māori housing program where they actually, you could actually go. My grandparents got their um, home through a Māori Affairs loan. And what we don't have that anymore. That's exactly what I'm saying, that the market is not providing rentals at a rate that is affordable for a lot of people. But it's a supply side issue at the, that, at the moment, right? And, 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 and this is the thing, like as much as the government might try to pour money in and, and commits you know, vast quantities of money for, for Māori housing, the, the fact of the matter is that they, we haven't, uh, uh, you know, we haven't considered the true cause of all of this, which is that we just don't have nearly enough houses being built. And if you're adding, you know, a billion dollars to Māori housing, it actually doesn't make a massive difference to the overall supply. Well, we does, it, but it does to, does to those who, who don't have any houses. Yeah. Yeah, we haven't factored in. So we had that period of really high immigration, but we've also had tens of thousands of Kiwis coming home mm. with money that have pushed house prices in the last year really mm. very high and it's so difficult. That, and, and we have beneficiaries sitting on debt, mm. huge debt around emergency housing. What did you think of Judith Collins' performance in the House? Obviously, her, you know, the, 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 the opposition only gets the budget about an hour or so before yeah. everyone else, so they don't have a lot of time to prepare, but what did well, you make of the response? Um, well, big, up, big ups to uh, David Seymour uh, for actually having a, uh, a, a budget of his own uh, prior to uh, Grant Robertson's. But I didn't see any of that from uh, Judith and the, and the Nats. And, and that, that disappoints me, because all I heard... heard was, was um, we don't like this, we don't like that, we don't like this. 
Um, but where's the where's the solution? Oh boy, do we have good news for you, Ty? Oh, Standing by for our next interview is National's uh, Shadow Treasurer, so uh, Andrew Bailey will give us uh, answers to your concerns in a couple of minutes. Thank you. We'll be back with the panel very shortly. Send us your thoughts in the meantime. We're on Twitter at NZQ&A, and don't forget we publish the programme as a podcast every week. Shortly, we will consider the motion in Parliament to recognise Palestine as a state and a new proposal that could mean tougher standards for Kiwi teachers before they're allowed in the classroom. This House has no confidence in anything this government promises because after just four years, its track record of failing to deliver, of broken promises, of spin over substance and of announcements over results speaks for itself. That was National Leader Judith Collins responding to the budget in the House this week. National says there's stuff the party likes in this year's budget and they wouldn't reverse the increases to benefits. But National Shadow Treasurer Andrew Bailey says the budget doesn't do enough to promote economic growth. Kia ora, welcome to Q&A. Good morning. So where is your alternative budget? Well, we decided not to do it in the first year of an election cycle. But that doesn't mean we haven't got good ideas. We okay. have lots of them. Okay, well, we'll get to your good ideas in just a moment. Let's start off with the uh, benefit increases, though. Why are you only supporting those increases now? Look, uh, the benefit increases were inevitable. And the first point I'd say is there's a lot of New Zealanders, not just people on benefits, who've um, been affected by the huge increase in cost pressures. Mm. Uh, we've seen rents go up by $100 a week. We've seen power prices go up. Uh, so it was inevitable that they, there was a requirement to deal with the issue of rising house uh, cost of pressure, uh, cost of living pressures. But the, the reality is that is not a way to get us out of where we are at the moment. That is a one-off issue. What we should be doing is growing the economy so that we, people who are on job seeker benefit, the unemployed, 200,000, can get into a good job and we can actually move the economy forward. That's why we're so focused on growing the economy. It's a stimulus though, isn't it? Yeah, but it's a one-off hit. What we're looking for is a long-term solution. That Increasing the benefits is not a long-term plan. So how would you grow the economy? Well, I think this is the most disappointing thing about the budget. There are obviously some good bits, but there is no plan about how we grow, grow the economy. So three areas. First of all, infrastructure. I know there's a big plan there. $57 billion. But the fact is this government does not deliver in terms of doing infrastructure projects. If it does, that's fantastic. What we would have done is we would have laid out a 10-year plan and we would have st stuck to it so that people and infrastructure companies can go and hire the people, get the equipment to do that. First thing. But you haven't done the 10-year plan? No, this is what we do and we've got very clear views on it. I can, I can give an example of that in a minute if you like. The second one is that we'd like to see more support for businesses. We shouldn't be socking businesses and making it more difficult for them to employ people. What we should be doing is helping businesses to grow because when they grow they take on more people. So, and so, so one of the things is we would have put in place uh, incentive or encouragement for business to buy new plant and equipment and to write that off immediately against their profits. The benefits of that is we, as we're going into an area where we've got reduced immigration, we want New Zealanders working smarter, mm. not longer, and by investing in new equipment, that's one way. So third, is there a, th third is there a threshold? Just let me ask about that. Is there, is there a threshold for well, equipment they could write off? At the, at, during the election we specified at 150000 but going into the next election we will be looking at increasing that well, is it now? What would you have done at this budget? Oh, at least that, we would have actually probably more, done more than 150,000. What would you have there. done? 
Oh, well, I'm just... No, but I know that, like, this is... We've, this, 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 uh, there's not a lot of detail, right? So, so. Well, look, I'll tell you what, at the moment, it's a very low threshold. We would have probably increased it several-fold from the 150,000. So a real incentive for people to go and buy brand-new equipment and because that's a way of dealing with productivity. The third area I would have done is that actually around uh, supporting and diversifying the economy. We, the COVID has shown that we've been over-reliant on international tourists and international student market. We should be expanding the te tech sector. And there's some wonderful examples. I was down in Rotorua uh, recently at Scion Research, Timber Research, and they have developed a plastic that replaces part of the existing plastic components with the timber compound. Mm. And it is what it means is that plastic effectively can be recycled. That is a huge groundbreaking piece of technology. And I said to the CEO, why aren't we commercialising? Why aren't we as a country taking this and expanding it? It was a wonderful wasted opportunity right now sitting in Rotorua. That's the type of opportunity if you're a government you would be looking at putting in place a pathway for those people to so commercialise. what does that pathway look like? Well, it's supporting them in terms of taking that research and marrying them up with the right partners, they were literally looking for money. And we could do it either through, uh, initially with government support, mm. but bringing in international partners. So part of it is mm. actually how do you so actually develop, commercialise it, produce it, and move it around the world. There's a lot of spending yes. here in, in, the, in these plans. So, no, so you're not actually. Well, that's, I mean, that's, that's spending to help business, right? I mean, if you can create a pathway and give them and give them some sort of fiscal support to, to develop their business, that's that's spending. If you uh, you know don't have the depreciation of assets, that that's completely written off immediately. That's tax taken. Well, I'll tell you where I get the money. You're missing from. out on. Where do you get it from? Oh, easy. First thing I would do, uh, I would get rid of the 500 million, the half billion that this government has put aside in this budget, to restructure health. Uh, or our hospitals. During, a, during the COVID, our doctors and our nurses worked incredibly hard. Why on earth would you be setting aside and prioritising half a billion dollars to restructure the health service right now? Second thing, under this government... So you don't support so scrapping the debt, second, please? Second thing under this government... No, no, sorry, just no, to go back to that. No, 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 you've de so, so you don't support, you don't support... I mean, that's to set up the new health authority, so you don't yeah, support we don't scrapping support, the debt, and, and, and well, that doesn't mean you can't improve the DHPs, but half a billion in this year's budget to do that, we're right in the middle of a vaccination program and we cannot, our nurses are struggling right now and we're going to put them through a process where we're going to see all our, our DHPs restructured. Well, 1.4 billion second, has been dedicated to assist with that vaccination program. Though. I know, but you'd ask me half a billion dollars. Mm. The second thing, under this government, we've seen public servants go from 58000 to 68000 That's a $10,000 increase or $1.3 billion worth of money that's gone into growing the government. We should be growing businesses in New Zealand. That's what we should be doing. That is a lot of money. A lot of them are facing a pay freeze last time I checked. Oh, but hey, what we should be doing is trying to... If you're saying, where do I find money, I would be certainly looking at capping that and reducing over time. We should not be growing the government bureaucrats in Wellington. We should be putting that into frontline services and also supporting businesses so that they employ more. Because I'll tell you what, when they work well and when they employ more people, the government gets more revenue, which we can invest in hospitals, schools, roads and rail. What's an appropriate level of government debt? Well, the issue at the moment, uh, I'm not worried about the level of debt we've incurred under COVID. What I am worried is that Mr Robertson thinks it's fine to basically double the debt from where we are to now over the next three to four years. So we're going to go from $100 billion to $200 billion. It's a big figure. But the issue for me is that if you grow the economy, you can deal with that debt. But at the moment, our interest cost is $2.5 billion. 
which is nearly the cost it takes to run New Zealand Police Force, which means we're diverting money away from frontline service. And the other thing I'd say to you, Jack, every day we borrow $110 million. Yeah. Yesterday we borrowed $110 million. Yeah, no, Tomorrow I, I, I've we borrow this line, but That is a lot of money. Of course, it, of course it is. But I mean, relative to other countries, New Zealand's sovereign debt is incredibly low. And you know that as well as I do. You know that our the international ratings, uh, the international ratings agencies rate New Zealand very highly in terms of sovereignty. So, so how would you pay it down faster? By growing the economy. That is the way. You've got three options to do it, right? We've looked at them. One is we can tax people more. I don't think that's a viable alternative. Secondly, we can be more careful about the spending, but I don't think... If you're talking about a debt pile of $200 billion, we were, we were $60 billion only a few months ago. Mm. We're going to triple the debt, right? If you uh, reduce the amount of spending or be more careful, it helps a little bit, but right. it doesn't turn the dial. Well, you've saved, that you've is saved why us, you've got you've to grow the a, economy. You've saved us half a billion through the, through the not restructuring the DHBs. Um, oh, look, I, I, look, if I got inside that, um, the spending that, that is in that budget, I would find a lot more. Well, but you've I'm had just the opportunity. You, you've had I'm the just giving you an example I mean, right no, now. Yeah, you've, you, I mean, you are welcome to present an alternative budget. Let me ask this. Do you think house prices need to come down? I'd like to see them stabilise for certain. That should be the first um, assumption. Do they need to and come down? I'd like to see them stabilise, and we've had this conversation before. Mm. I think it's heroic in the budget and the forecast that next year we're going to have flatline housing uh, prices because it's simply there is no plan for the huge increase in supply that you quite rightly talk about. We need to increase the supply, but I'm also very worried about the way that we're dealing with emergency and um, social housing. It's just appalling that we haven't been able to deliver that in timely fashion. All right, Andrew Bailey, Tēnākwe, thank you for your time. Thank you very much. After the break, should there be a new minimum math standard for all Kiwi school teachers? And would that be enough to improve New Zealand kids' lagging maths results? Hoki mai, welcome back to Q&A. Our latest Tōtato Anamata, Our Future special, looked at New Zealand primary and intermediate school students' lagging performance in mathematics. We had vast feedback after that programme, and now ACT is proposing compulsory professional development for teachers in maths, science and English, plus new maths standards for all new teachers. ACT leader David Seymour is with us. Kia ora, good morning. Good morning. Why do you think New Zealand standards have been slipping in maths? Oh, look, a couple of reasons. One is that, and as you canvassed on your show, and Briar Lipson was particularly good, I thought, um, we have embraced the idea that students shouldn't be taught things, they shouldn't have knowledge transferred to them, what they should actually be doing is attempting to discover their own knowledge. Um, now to a, certain, to a certain extent I think it's really important that we give kids a, a range of skills for the modern workplace, but we have let go in my view of transferring the real basic foundational building blocks to kids and you're starting to see that in the decline in our test scores. I think the second thing uh, that has gone wrong is that we haven't valued our teachers sufficiently. If you look at teacher salaries versus the average wage um, over the past 40 years or so, um, actually we, we just haven't kept up and uh, I've got quite a lot more to say about that actually. But one of the first things you've got to do uh, is say, well look, if we're going to set standards for teacher registration, uh, the, the Teaching Council is responsible for registering teachers. You can't be a teacher if you're not registered with mm. them. Uh, they've just said that in amongst their other professional development requirements, um, they're going to add, um, you know, te reo, uh, 
uh, tikanga, uh, you've got to be continually improving at that. Um, you know, I'm of a generation uh, where I think that's a welcome development. I think it is part of the New Zealand identity. Um, it's part of some, some New Zealand's identity in particular, um, and we're very comfortable with it. But what I would also say, I'm also of a generation that hasn't forgotten that this is a future uh, we face that requires us to have science, technology, engineering and maths. And I looked at that woman who was interviewed in the first piece on the show today. She said she thought her mokopuna would become rocket scientist. I'm sorry to say that if we don't start emphasising mathematics, science, basic literacy to a greater extent in our education system, uh, that's going to be very distant for them. So, so just to be really clear, when teachers are renewing their teaching certificate, what would you require of them? So they're required to have a professional development in a, in a range of areas. Within the last three years, at that's the moment, right. that's yeah. what they're required yeah. to have. Yeah. yeah, and so we're, we're not changing the system. You know, mm. they still have to go away, do their professional development, demonstrate upon re-registration that they've gone away mm. and done stuff. But what we're also saying is that they have to have professional development and their expertise in science and mathematics, uh, in literature and English, because we want teachers who are passionate about their subjects. And I just ask, you know, if you're a student at a primary school or an intermediate and your teacher's teaching you maths and in the back of their mind well I didn't get six for maths so you know how important is this really I don't think we're going to get a generation of students who are passionate uh, about mathematics. There's a difference though between say te reo and tikanga Māori and those STEM subjects in that those STEM subjects have been part of the core curriculum for a long time now. Teachers are used to teaching those subjects. They know those subjects well compared to te reo Māori for example. So why require all teachers to go over stuff many of them already know? Well actually it's about continuous learning, it's about professional development. This is about signalling. What do parents who send their kids to school and pay their taxes want the emphasis to be on? At the moment are we really saying that we're doing so well at STEM and reading uh, that actually we don't need to emphasise that because that's not what the international data says. But we focused on those subjects for national standards for example, we focused on those core subjects mm. and Despite that, our results have dropped off. Well, I, I agree. There's lots of objections that you can have to national standards. Uh, but what we're talking about this morning is what do we want to make the, what make the priorities for professional development in our teaching workforce? The ACT Party says that actually the biggest determinant of where our country is going to be in mm. 30 years' time is what kids are learning today. And that should include greater emphasis on engineering, on maths, on science, literature. Those are the things that we need to focus and ensure that teachers have a passion for and an emphasis on so that they can transmit that to the kids. Is it not a blunt tool, though, to require 35,000 teachers all to do the same professional development? Well, of course, it's not the same. The way it works is that they can have their own plan. Uh, they create their own agenda for what they're going to focus on in their professional development. You know, this is a, a pretty open-ended thing. But at the, at the moment, I'm sorry to interrupt you, at the moment, though, schools can essentially look at where they think they have holes in their education system mm. and choose professional mm. development mm. that is suited mm. to them. I think about your yeah. charter schools policy mm. which was mm. all about mm. promoting choice in that mm. educational mm. space and that's the way schools go at mm. the moment. And we should have, we should have charter schools back. Um, but even charter schools had minimum standards that had to be met. Um, the role of the teaching council and the role of government mm. policy is to say, okay, yes we believe in choice and diversity, but here's the basic package that kids must get in taxpayer funded education. And the ACT Party says that's got to shift the dial back uh, towards engineering, mathematics, technology, right. English and so on.
At the moment, uh, all primary school teachers, I believe, and intermediate school teachers have to have achieved NCA Level 1 in maths. You would require them to achieve NCA Level 2 for new teachers. What about the teachers who haven't done NCA Level 2 to this point? So their professional development would be benchmarked against NCA Level 2. And look, we recognise there's a range of people in the profession with a whole different range mm. of skills. We're not going to fire everyone if they don't pass NCA Level 2 tomorrow. Um, but the professional development in mathematics would be aiming towards having a teaching workforce where everybody's got Form 6 or Level 2, mm. Year 12 uh, NCA mathematics. I think that's absolutely the, the, the minimum that we would require. Everybody agrees we need to make the teaching profession uh, more exalted, uh, more respected, more valued. And one way to do that is to increase the level of skill. And expected. how much would you pay the average teacher? How much more? Well, we've got, we've got a little bit more to say about that, but you just got to wait. Oh, till come our, on, Dave. You got to wait till How our much conference. more? You got to wait for our 10 conference. Ten grand, twenty grand. Hey, look, this is not an auction, but um, <laughs> we're, we're having our conference. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've just. We've just had 500 people by packing out the ASB Waterfront Theatre. Uh, it's going to be a fantastic rally. I mean, you think about that, Jack. We're six months from an election. We're packing out the ASB Waterfront Theatre. Uh, this is a really good time for ACT, and I think it's because we're bringing all ideas right, to the right. table. OK, I've got to say, yeah. too, before... I, you know, the last time we spoke, uh, you were talking about a, a group of your constituents, the Baha'is, mm. and I remember I was a real smart aleck and said, well, hang on, the Baha'is don't vote in electorate, in electorate uh, elections. I got that wrong. So Baha'is don't vote in party votes, but they do cast electoral votes. So that serves me right. Well, see, I never, I never asked them about their votes. I was just representing their views. There you go. Well, <laughs> that's a good technique because, um, yeah, I was the smart aleck on that one. It certainly didn't pay. Thank you very much Thank for you. your time, David Seymour. So you know you can watch our full math special on TVNZ On Demand and YouTube. After the break, we are back to the panel. As a fragile ceasefire holds in Gaza, should our parliament have recognised Palestine as a state? Kia ora, welcome back. Before the ceasefire between Israel and Hamas took hold in Gaza this week, our parliament voted down a motion by the Greens to recognise Palestine as a nation state. Let's bring our panel back now. Tau Hinari, Anjum Rahman and Russell Norman. Tau, what do you think of the motion? Oh, I think they should have. I, I think they should have. And, and here's the thing. What does it cost you to recognise somebody's statehood? Nothing. What do you think, Anjum? I think it's absolutely important. If you say that you're committed to a two-state solution, then you have to recognise both of those states. Uh, it, that recognition is hugely important, I think. And it is, as you say, it costs nothing, it's symbolic, but it sends a signal about how important you think it is. And, and so who would New Zealand recognise as, as being the leaders of a Palestinian state? But that's not the question, though. Well, the, que no. the question is, do you recognise Palestine as a state? And, and, and we shouldn't um, go down the territory of, uh, of, of picking who should lead their country. That's not our business. That's right. I mean, if you believe in self-determination, there are all sorts of countries in the world that have hugely problematic governments, and we don't say, oh, we're not going to recognise them <laughs> as a state. We haven't said we're not recognising Myanmar as a state. America. Mm. <laughs> what, what do you think, Russell? Um, I mean, I, I think we should be trying to contribute to as much as we can. Obviously, we're pretty marginal in all of this, but um, to some kind of peaceful solution. And we have said we support a two-state um, approach. Um, so clearly, if you support a two-state approach, then there's two states. I mean, that just follows from the New Zealand position. It's also, New Zealand's in an interesting position as well because um, in, in New Zealand's traditional trade position, um, where we do uh, sell significant uh, uh, trade into the Middle East, um, has meant that we 
um, have actually taken a more uh, even-handed approach than, um, say, the United States. Um, and part of that is linked to our trade into the Middle East. They mm. sell a lot of arms to the Middle East. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah. the thing is, On they get sides. money from both sides of yeah. the conflict. Mm. So I have to ask you about the Port of Auckland. Of course, uh, Tony Gibson, the CEO of Ports of Auckland, announced he's standing down as the CEO. You have been campaigning against the Ports of Auckland for a wee while now. They've had uh, you know, a few months um, yeah. mired in controversy, worker deaths, uh, scathing health and safety reports, delays with their automation process. What do you make of that resignation? Oh, I think I think it, it, it's it's something that maybe um, he should have pulled the pin. When when the uh, the health and safety report was was made public, if he had done it then, then you would have been able to give yourself some time to work on the port. The port's got a lot of issues, and this is, has been a distraction. Unfortunately, um, it's it's been a distraction um, mired in. Um, oh, I, I, I want to stay and and fix my mess up basically. So, um, but hey, it had to happen, and I'm glad he's gone. Okay. I mean, he says he's been targeted with lots of personal attacks over the last couple of months. Yeah. It's interesting to consider the wider port conversation and, and you know some of the infrastructure spending that was dedicated so he's in this a week's now. budget. Well, let's put let's put Tony Gibson to the side for, for one can't. moment. What what about moving the port? Would you like to have seen some more some more action on that in the budget this week? Fifty seven uh, billion dedicated to infrastructure. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, this the, the the whole issue about moving it. We've done report after report after report, and everybody has an opinion, and I don't really know where to go. I mean, if it was me, I'd and if I could do it tomorrow, I'd move it up north. Mm. All right. Uh, the Climate Commission is set to deliver its final recommendations to government in seven or eight days' time, Russell. What are your top priorities when that advice comes through? Uh, I mean, it's got to do better on agriculture. So the first, the draft report um, was a bit weak on agriculture. Um, and part of the reason is the government set up this voluntary process, Hewaki Ekanoa. Instead of putting a price on emissions, they said, oh no, we're going to do another voluntary process just like John Key before them. Um, so yeah, so there's got to be more action on agriculture and obviously what we're particularly looking for is a phase out of synthetic nitrogen fertiliser which is a key driver of emissions and a key driver of intensification. Um, so we'd love to see them do more there. Um, obviously transport's the other the other big one but um, really the, the draft advice didn't have enough on agriculture. Okay, well, when you say transport, what would be an ideal recommendation in your opinion? Well, I mean, the first thing is, you know, we've got to stop building new motorways um, and then we've got to invest heavily um, in rail, which the, the freight, the, that's part of the freight thing, but um, also in terms of cycling. Like, if you want to make a fast transition in transport, you need to invest very quickly in cycling. We actually have, a, it's not very expensive compared to motorways. I mean, motorways are incredibly expensive. Transmission gully, $1.3 billion. Um, so if you invest in protected cycleways in our urban centres, you can make some pretty rapid transitions into terms of reducing carbon emissions in our cities. All right. Hey, thank you all for your time this morning. We really appreciate your insights, To, Anjum and Russell. Cool, Matu. That is Q&A for this week. Thank you for watching and to the Q&A team. Marai is up next. We're back next Sunday at 9 o'clock for Meat, Milk and Motor Cars, our next Tortato Anamata, our future special. It'll look at the key ways the Climate Change Commission's final recommendations will change New Zealand life. Hey, te wiki. We'll see you then. Q&A is made with the support of New Zealand On Air.